Well, as it pertains to the Bible, I mean, I I can say this as even a former pastor of mm. a church for 14 years. There were huge seasons of my life that I didn't read. Unless mm. I was teaching something on Sunday, I was not reading the Bible. Yeah. Um, and there was a reason for that. I would get into it. I would get mad. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do with, with my questions or my anger because I felt like I needed as a Christian to have all the answers and to be able to defend this thing. And so I would, it would just, I would put it down all the time. And, you know, the, the Bible project done a few things. One, it's helped me recognize, um, that it is a big, messy book. It is a unified story that does lead to Jesus. There is unification Mm. from Genesis all the way to Revelation. You don't read it the same. Mm. There's there's poetry in there. There's history. There's uh, metaphor. There's you know, and so things that were and you have to understand context. I, I think that's the biggest thing that's helped mm. me the most is that the Bible Project brings so much understanding around context. This was a letter written to a certain individual or group of people at this specific time in history right. that they did not expect was going to be read by billions of people around the world 2,000 years later. He mm-hmm. wasn't writing that letter, in my opinion, with that intent going, Tim and mm-hmm. Mike are going to be reading this letter that I wrote to the Ephesians at this specific time for this reason. You're listening to Justice Matters with Tim Buxton podcast inspiring the fight for a world where everyone belongs. Welcome back to the Justice Matters podcast. Today on the show, we have Michael McDonald. Now, he is the Director of Global Focus and Strategic Relationships for the Bible Project, which is just a fancy way of saying he oversees two teams. One team is to help contextualize the videos the Bible Project produces. Now, these are animation videos that help people to understand the Bible in its unified story that leads to Jesus. And a lot of these videos have upwards of one to two million views on them. So he oversees a team that takes these videos and contextualizes them to countries all around the world. I think they now have 27 studios contextualizing, translating these videos into these various countries and languages. It's pretty amazing. The other team he oversees just to help manage all the strategic relationships and partnerships and organizations that utilize these videos. They're pretty awesome. But, you know, I first met Mike when he was heading up an organization called Hear the Cry that was doing incredible work both locally and globally in really addressing justice issues and helping serve poor and marginalized communities. He came over to Iraq, and we first met in this coffee shop. It was called Barista, right? And the crazy thing is, is a year later, that very coffee shop exploded and was blown up in in a bomb that was really targeting the U.S. consulate, which was just across the street. Uh, It was a somber moment for us. I remember he had a team over with him visiting from, from the States, And uh, you'll hear the details of that story in this podcast, but Mike over the years came and visited and partnered with the work we were doing in Iraq for several years and has remained a real dear friend. His wife, Melissa, uh, they're one of our favorite people. Uh, For my wife, Sarah, they really are a special couple. And I'm glad and I'm so excited that I get to share my conversation and the person of Mike with you through this podcast. I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks, guys. 
Michael McDonald, buddy, friend, how are you doing? Welcome to the Justice so Matters podcast. Good, oh man, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man. We'll we'll uh, we rode through a few little technical difficulties then, but uh, we finally got it going. Your setup on your side is amazing and impressive, probably because you have to do this quite a bit, right? I do this a bit, but it it looks more impressive probably than it is. This is just like a projection screen I bought off of Amazon because I'm literally in my garage. So behind me is like my garbage, yeah, my recycling. Oh, nice. My, like you know, hopefully so it's not garbage hide day you from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I kind of breathe all that in. Um, but COVID's kind of made us figure out how to office in weird places. And so um, my wife's a counselor and needed the office in the house. And so I kind of took took the garage over and, and have built out a little little place to sit. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking of, speaking of COVID um, and your lovely wife, how are you guys doing? I, I know you actually had a bout with COVID. What was that like? I did. Yeah, I got it in March. Um, it was, man, as a healthy young, well, not that young anymore, but as a as a healthy individual, I kind of, in the beginning, honestly, was like, man, I hope I get COVID when I'm young and mm. I'll just kind of like work through it and get the antibodies and everything will be, you know, be fine. Sure. And now I'm like, dude, there's no, nobody should get this. Mm. It is the worst thing on the, I mean, for me, I was taken out. I had a 103 degree fever for nine to 11 days straight. Mm. Um, no sleep, uh, had moments where you just thought like you were going to die. So scary for my family, for my wife, Mm. you know, who's seeing people die and cases of it. So just the emotional toll that it took on our house. Yeah. Um, and then just having to be quarantined for two weeks after, I mean, we just didn't leave our house for five weeks, you know, and, um, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was rough, it, but it's, you know, not to put a sugar coating on it. It's given me a ton of empathy though, mm-hmm. for individuals that are, are going through this families that are going through this. Um, it's given me insight into that. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, gnarly, but we're on the other end of it and, and both doing okay. Yeah. Oh man. You know, and, and there's obviously this, this wave of it. We, you, you do you look at the research and you realize this, it comes and goes in, in kind of outbreaks. And so, uh, and I know the U.S. has gone through a bit one. We've had a, an outbreak in, in, in Melbourne, Victoria, which has yep. locked down the whole city again. And so, yeah, my heart really does go out to, to people that have been impacted. Like personally, I've, uh, I've known a few, uh, you, you being one of them. And, um, yeah, nobody ever, wishes this thing on anybody and uh man yeah we hope hope we can especially coming from new york i'm yeah. sure you've had oh, you my know, goodness. friends out there i mean that's a whole yeah yeah the impact is so multiple fold you know yeah well i was thinking back uh just the other day when we first met and i don't know if you remember this of all places of all places we <laughs> met in this uh, Starbucks fake lookalike um, coffee shop opposite called Barista. Called Barista, yeah. And yep. uh, you you came. You're living in Portland, the home of of Barista, another coffee shop, right? Wasn't there a coffee? My shop? favorite coffee shop in Portland at the time <laughs> yeah. was Barista. I literally went there every day 
of my life for the last 10 years. So when I showed up in Iraq and the first place we stop is a coffee shop called Barista, I just, I felt like I was home. I felt like I've, I've found my people. I feel like I'm in the right spot. (laughs) It was amazing. You and your wife, Bob and Maria, who, who else was on that, was on that trip? Day was on that trip. That was it. I think Um, it was was Day, Bob, Maria, me and Melissa. Okay. So the five of you, we get you from the airport. We go to this coffee shop. It's right opposite the U.S. consulate, right in in yeah. the the part of the the part of the uh, of of our bill, which is supposed to be the safest. It's where the the consulates are, and right. a lot of the nonprofit NGOs and and oil companies have all their headquarters. Now we live two hours away in the middle of whoop whoop right on. Uh, Right, right next to the yep. uh, Iranian border there, but we take you there first, thinking you'll have this great experience, and and it was great. We we sat on the couches and just finally, just uh, you know, our first time to to meet and chat. Um, the weird thing is, though, that very same you came back a couple of years later, uh, or maybe just a year later, uh, on yeah. one of your several trips, we were with a a team you bought from Portland. Do you remember getting that? Yeah. I re- that so phone we, call? we flew in. Yeah, well, we flew in and we stopped at Barista because we'd also go to that bread shop that yes. was uh, now, right, right beside yeah. and sir, like epic Turkish bread. Mm-hmm. And we stopped there because we took all the teams there because it was like my first stop. So I want to get everybody there. The next day, uh-huh. we're sitting enjoying a meal and we got a call that uh, Barista had blown up <laughs> and the co- and and the. Turkey, and like the, consulate. the day after, like if it, if, if we had, and the consulate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if we had flown in just a day later, um, you know, there's a chance we could have been at that spot. It was very sobering. For Wasn't sure. it? It was also the Absolutely. first team that I think I brought of, mm. of just other than myself and my wife and you know, people that I'm, yeah. I took a group of people and friends there. And so it was kind of a, yeah, it was a sobering reality for sure. Oh, yeah. We were in a little pizza shop. The mayor of our town calls us and says, are you guys okay? Knowing that we had a your team that was coming in. And, yeah, they had targeted the U.S. consulate, ended up blowing up half a block full of buildings, hotels, and yep. and, and in particular this cof- coffee shop was at the center of it. And and you're right. It, it Though that telling that story. Um, may for some listeners think, wow, this is just the most dangerous, craziest place you could live. Um, mm. but it did, it, it is a sober reminder that, you know, there, um, you know, life is fragile. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that are confused and think yeah. that by, by making a point like that, um, uh, that they're, that I guess the their agenda, whatever their purpose that they're trying to trying to fight for, will come to pass. But um, yeah, it makes me also think about the news I'm getting from Portland right now, which makes it feel like it's a war zone. Where, where yeah. when people watch the news and think of Iraq and thinking, oh, it must be a war zone. It's it's yeah. it's my hunch is it's not the reality. So I'd love for for you maybe to talk into that just a little bit. It's a group. That's a great analogy because I think that's very, you know, unfortunately, it's that explosion gets the largest megaphone mm-hmm. in what's happening in Iraq, in Iraq. But mm-hmm. what they don't see yeah. is all the other days where you've got 
kids going to school and families, you know, doing this and dads being dads and moms mm-hmm. being moms and people taking care of refugees and mayors that are just, you know, hearts of gold. Taking, exactly. I mean, they don't hear you don't hear all of that. Um, but you hear about this one exploit. And, and I would say, but the explosion did happen. Yeah. Too. You so can't I would say in Washington it away. Yeah. It's very similar. Um, the stuff you're seeing on the news is happening. Uh, there are people that are peacefully protesting and they're getting tear gassed in the evening and they're getting rubber bullets fired at them. And I've got friends that have been down there during these times and mm. witnessed it and been a part of it. And, and, yeah. um, and so what you are seeing is, is, is accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to take away from that, but in the same reality in Iraq, five blocks away, you've got people sitting at a coffee yeah. shop, drinking coffee. You've got kids that are, you know, yeah. in the playground, you've got people going to work and people going home. And so it's not the full story. It's not, it's not the full story. Yeah. Portland is still Portland in a lot of ways. And there's a part of it that there's this thing happening. And, and, you know, and unfortunately the largest megaphone is, is given to the things that's going to be the biggest story, which is yeah. some of the violence or some of the fires or what have you. But yeah. there are amazing peaceful protests happening in Portland mm-hmm. uh, all day, every day for the last you know, 60 days. Yeah. Uh, and those aren't necessarily being talked about. It's, no. it's really this unique hour between 1030 and 2am where kind of, uh, uh, it gets a little crazy on a five block radius down in downtown Portland, you know, and yeah. Portland is so much more than that. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm thankful for the people that are down there. Um, mm. and, and, you know, <sighs> talking about justice and mm-hmm. talking about the things that matter. I'm yeah. really thankful for that. And I'm, I, I'm also, my heart breaks for Portland where, mm. you know, this is becoming our story to people outside of Portland. Yeah. And, and man, it's just not, it's, it's an amazing city with amazing people that care a lot about, um, justice yeah. and care a lot about equality yeah. and equity and all of that restitution. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I loved, um, that visit we got to have Sarah and I were able to to sneak away uh, one of our trips back to the states while we were living in Iraq. We got to come back and we we left our um, our kids with um, Sarah's parents, and we got to come to Portland for yeah. a couple of days, see the incredible work that you're doing there, but also experience this amazing city. I, I I loved going to the coffee shops, getting myself a pair of Keens. You took me to the Nike, uh, the Nike you headquarters. The campus. You got to see the whole headquarters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We met some great people there. Um, obviously, you can't go to Portland and not uh, go to Powell's bookstore and pick up a, yeah. a couple of books. You even um, had a stay in this such trendy, cool little hotel. Felt like I was in a like, army barracks but it was it was like <laughs> hip cool army ba- barracks oh we had you stay ace. at the ace yeah the oh ace my hotel. gosh yeah so much that's fun. where all the rock stars come and stay when when they're there so you were you were living large man felt like a rock star you treated us like one and that was it's kind of like the case anytime you brought a team whether it was whether it was a, a team from from a collective group of churches and other extended friends that you have that came over or whether it was when you bring uh, um, Don Miller and Miles Adcock, other like really good friends of yours whom I, I've just been yeah. so thankful to know. Um, there's been so – you 
you always brought so much generosity and kindness to us and thoughtfulness. And we'll, Sarah and I, and as a family, always remember, uh, it was always a favorite, uh, the teams that, that came and the folks that visit when, when you guys came. And, and we really appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate that about you, um, as well, Mike. Yeah. Well, you guys, uh, I mean, not that you need to hear this necessarily, but I mean, it, you were family. Mm. That was the thing. It didn't feel like we were just visiting, yeah. you know, uh, an organization or a place. We were visiting mm. family. You know, you it's just the way that you guys welcomed us into your home mm. and your kids. And I mean, I just felt like an uncle to, you know, oh, yeah. these amazing kids. And so it it was it's just what we would do for family. So yeah. you guys were it was it was so much fun. Yeah. I mean. It's a, it's a it's the beautiful beautiful thing that this well can be so big yet you can feel so close and connected um with people right. so far away Mike um I want to get into a lot of the work that you do but I always love hearing your story and I think your journey as well um obviously you're a Portland guy but really more than that you're global. You're like this global citizen. <laughs> and I and I think that mm. has informed not only your ability to connect so well with people all across the world and throughout throughout your life and work as well. I mean, that's just what you do so well. You are the relational master at just um, <sighs> bringing people together and connecting people um, and doing so in such a great um, I think uh, such an empathetic and um, and strategic way. Um, your story, though, is is you know it's interesting. I mean, when I first heard it, I was just blown away. Do you mind mm. going going and sharing a bit about your sure, life? Sure, gosh, um, I can. Yeah, I'll try to do it in the context of even what we're talking about. Yeah, any of our stories, I feel like, are. Um, you know, they're ours and they're, they're all really unique and mm. none of us, you know, get into this world unscathed. And so there's, there's history and things there, but it makes us who we are. And yeah, I think my story, um, in being able to reflect and tell it with others has helped me also define, gosh, that's where I learned that, or that's where that came from. And yeah, you know, I didn't grow up in Portland. I grew up in a small little ski town up in Canada. So a tiny little, you know, under 10,000 person up in the mountains, uh, hippie draft dodging little city. Uh, you know, that was my, that was my upbringing. Um, I grew up in a faith paradigm, uh, Baha'i, which is, uh, um, from Iran in the 1850s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of persecuted, um, Iranians had moved into Canada mm-hmm. to escape persecution. Um, and which is kind of the community that I grew up in. So I, I grew up in a very multicultural yeah. community. Just, you know, when we would celebrate together every 19 days at our feast, it was half, you know, uh, Persian and, and it would be, you know, in different languages and it, obviously different foods. And wow, that was just growing up. So that was just normal part of my, <laughs> that was just normal. That was Tuesday. You know, that was just, uh, uh, that kind of life. And, 
And then, um, and like my mom is a very adventurous, wild spirit in that sense too. She, when she graduated high school, she went and moved and lived in caves in the Canary Islands for six months. And then Mm. she, uh, when she got married to my stepdad, um, when I was three, they went on a three month honeymoon to India and just left us kids back behind, but we were super young. So we don't really remember that, but that was like her, you know, very just seize the day, the world's all open and mm-hmm. safe and, and great. That led to when I was um, 16, 15, actually just turning 15, um, and my brother was 12, my mom sent us to China uh, yes. to go to a women's conference that was held as 1994, and uh, it was all around the inequality that was happening around the world for women. And so there was so 40,000 people there. You're 12. I was 14, 14 turning years. 15 and my brother was 12 and she didn't go. So she just sent us with an envelope of money Are you... and was just like, dude, you're heading to this conference. And we were gone for, you know, a uh, month and a half. It was over the summertime. It was, we were gone for, oh my you know, quite some time. So, so that meant that like I was finding it at 14. And I guess when you're 14, you think you're a lot older than mm-hmm. you are looking back now. I'm just like, gosh, so many bad things could have happened. But I mean, we had to find our own place to stay and we were figuring our own food and we were figuring out everything when we arrived. I lost my brother. You lost your brother? Day one, first day, (laughs) like I got onto a bus and everyone kind of piled in behind me and my brother like just got left and took me a few hours to find him. And it was right in Beijing. So it's not a small town. (laughs) Like there's just bazillions of people. Anyways, we're both okay. Everything's fine. My brother had huge culture shock and he oh, really yeah. suffered for that month and a half. But oh, wow. um, later ended up moving to China for like 10 years and married a gal from there. So he did okay at the end wow. of the day. Anyways, the whole point of that story is, is that that is what, when I went to that conference and most of it was learning about the injustice that's happening to women around the world. So meeting people from Afghanistan mm. and Iran and and all over the place, hearing stories of injustice, I think that's what birthed in me this, uh, not just desire, but this like ingrained mm. heartbeat of um, what does it look like to bring justice into the world? And justice meaning for me mm. is less the like uh, the judge legal system and, sure. and much more you know, what does righteousness, what does, what does goodness, what mm-hmm. does equality, mm-hmm. what does like in, in my own language now in kind of a, uh, Jesus centered type yeah. way, which is just the faith paradigm that I happen to, to be a part of, um, this idea of like a, a kingdom of heaven, yeah. you know, like that kind of stuff. Like so heaven on earth. What I think does that's that where look that, like <laughs> heaven on earth. What does that look like? And, and, and how do we be a part of being the vehicle to bring that yes. as, as images, image bearers, yeah. you know, and, so, yeah, that was me. So then I was, um, came home that kind of, I think tra- was the trajectory of where I would go in the future. Um, I ended up going on a, like find myself trip when I was 19. I had to get out of Dodge. I had a gnarly childhood. I had a, I had goods and bads. I'm actually starting to see the good for the first time actually. Mm. But for a long time I, I could look back and go, I had a very abusive, uh, stepfather, um, sexually abusive to a bunch of the kids in the home. Um, I, you know, mom was very sick at the time. Uh, you know, so in that, from, from my memory, which, uh, you know, is limited, I had to get out as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. So when I was 17, graduated, got out of Dodge as fast as I could, 
moved to Calgary, which is kind of a bigger city um, in in Canada. Got a job at a clothing store. I ended up managing that clothing store. Mm. Realized I didn't want to be in a mall for the rest of my life. So I quit <laughs> after about a year and a half. Uh, went to Turkey on a find myself kind of like, what mm. am I doing with my life? Um, that's where I met, you know, a person that kind of started teaching me about the ways of Jesus. Mm. Um, that was my first engagement with that. I then came home, ended up getting, uh, wanted to go to school. So I got a job at a restaurant because I thought it was a good way to make money. Found it, my very first like father figure mentor mm. in my life, which is this guy Lane, who to this day is my, you know, biggest mentor uh, oh, yeah. in my life. Um, and that was, you know, 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, he gave me a restaurant when I was 20 years old to run. And then I just kept kind of moving it. So I opened up restaurants across the country, moved down to Portland, Oregon, actually, to bring the company that we are part of in Canada down to the States. That's what had me move down here. Mm. Um, and I was bouncing between Seattle and Portland quite a bit in the mm. beginning. That was in 2004. Mm. And in moving to Portland, I got uh, kind of connected with a church here in town called the Mago Day Community. That's where I met Don Miller, who we yeah. brought out to uh, to Iraq and, um, uh, and many others. Uh, it was kind of a newer church plant in Portland, but it had been around for a few years, so a little bit established. And that was the church for me that I was like, I think I want to get rid of doing this restaurant thing and serve the church in some capacity. And what was unique uh, so about that church? Because, you know, it, it didn't have that, you know, it wasn't, you know, for some yeah. people, you know, the image of church might just seem like a, you know, it could, it could be a plethora was, of things. Yeah. But what was so unique about Imago Day for, for me, you? It, yeah, for me. So just even in the name, like image of God. Yeah. Um, they really did that in the city. Like they were the first church that I had been a part of where um, this idea of being unified in what the city uh, is, where where they're at. So in terms of taking care of, of the homeless, in terms of it wasn't just lip service or this idea that we should do it. Yeah. It was very much just like we do that first and then other things will follow. Right. Um, and it was this embodiment of kind of, it was very aspect. much a lifestyle. Okay. And, you know, uh, the pastor Rick, um, you know, would, is the guy really in Portland with a few others that really would like sit down with the mayor and ask, instead of being like, Hey, we're the church and we're going to do this. Mm. He would sit down and go, man, what are your biggest needs? What are your biggest, like, what are the things that like no one's showing up to? Mm. How can we serve you know, you and the city in the best way with no strings attached, mm. not to like, I'm not going to like tie a Bible to everything that I'm doing. It's, it was just, how do we show up and yes. just be the people that you need in the city? And it took a little bit to build a relationship, but once that was done, it was a school system. Schools needed help, mentorship. Wow. Um, there was a, there was a number of things that started coming up. Then all of a sudden it was, it was homelessness. It was refugee care. It was, you know, the, the big things that the cities was, was coming up against, uh, they would actually talk to us about and would, you know, foster care. That was a massive one uh, wow. that our city's just like, we don't know what to do with foster care. We've got too many kids and not enough foster parents. And we're like, great, we'll, we'll answer that call. And not just us, like a bunch of churches, we're going to rally together right. and not put a church name on it, but just put a, this is just us showing up. And Imago is very unique in leading the charge in that. Yeah, I... It's that sense where justice isn't like you were talking about. It's not just about being a, though it 
has aspects of being a protesting advocate or being even that picture. I, I was trying to find, I'm looking up justice images on the website and you get this gavel and, and ha, you know, the hammer and, and of a judge. Right. And it's like, but it, I think in, in the best and most purest way, it is a lifestyle. It is something that yes. is integrated into your life. It's not a moment or an event or a, it is this, ongoing process and you know when when i see maybe the 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 mission and vision of any church community it is to be at the point of needs wherever they are in the community where there is a whether that need come from a mayor or or a or a, a school or institutions that make up society yep. as it is, wherever there's need, wherever there's hurt, wherever there's pain, wherever there is inequality, wherever there's oppression, wherever there's injustice, yes. that is where yes. we need to be the as church people, be. Yeah. not just yeah. as a, you know, um, an institution per se, but as yep. the people. Um, yeah, And, Absolutely. you know, I, I yeah. That that is what I know of Imago Day to be, and and now a lot of other great churches in in Portland that I got to see and around the world. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, in this moment that we're at, more and more churches will realize it's less about the event on Sunday, whether you can gather or not in a big building, and it is yeah. more about um, being thrust out into the community. Justice Matters is brought to you by You Belong. If you'd like to learn more about their work, empowering refugees to integrate and thrive in Australia, head on over to youbelong.org.au. There you'll find ways to get involved, volunteer, and financially get behind the several initiatives they've got going on. There's also a stack of articles and blogs that you'll find there that are really informative and engaging. Now, did you know this podcast is actually a video podcast featured on YouTube? Just search Justice Matters TV on YouTube and watch each episode right there. And while you're there, hit subscribe and get notified each time a new video drops. Yeah, Yeah. so true. Look, Mm. um, speaking of, of... that kind of work, you then yeah. became part of creating, founding, and forming a a justice arm of a collective group of churches known as Hear the Cry. Yeah. And that was in that yeah. role that you had um, that was when I first met you. Can you talk a little bit about what Hear the Cry is and in particular- yeah. um, you know, as, especially as it relates to to me personally and my work with refugees, a bit about that great work that you started to yeah. serving the mm. refugees in, in your community. Yeah, the heart behind Hear the Cry was, um, and I was a part of a, another church at that point um, on staff and had the privilege of kind of building, building this thing out, um, which was really this idea it comes obviously from it comes from Exodus that God heard the cry of mm. uh, the people in and slavery. met those needs yeah. and so this idea was was very much a like we're connected let's hear the cry of um, 
people around the world, mm-hmm. in our own city, um, and around the world? And can we be a vehicle for God to show up in, in those ways? And, uh, you know, what started just with our church did grow into many other churches that, that joined along because we really wanted to, it wasn't a label. We didn't want to put a label on it. We didn't want to have, you know, when we visit Iraq, if, if we're going to help build a school, it wasn't about us getting our name on the school. Mm. It wasn't about any of that. So we could actually gather so many different types of churches. Yeah. Protestant, Catholic, I mean, whatever, to be a part of this where it's just like, guys, can we show up, guys and gals, can we show up and and really be kind of the wind behind people mm. as opposed to um, leading this thing? And so that was that was the heart. Also, that just it's a I think a part of discipleship is to learn and understand what it means to uh, bring justice and compassion mm. into these areas. And so instead of just talking about it on Sunday, it's then giving a, a pathway for people to actually do that. And we did it in our own city and then also globally. So whatever we did globally, we would do locally. If we're going to care for orphans globally, then we're going to care for orphans locally. So we would do orphan care on a global standpoint, but then we do foster care in mm. our own city. Um, and that way, if people went on some sort of trip uh, that was two weeks long to Zimbabwe, you don't come home and be like, that was amazing. I'm going to have to go to Zimbabwe next year in order to kind of <laughs> live that out. Yeah. It's like, no, if you've got a heart to care for orphans, let me introduce you to this foster care system and introduce you to all these orphans mm. in our own city. And what would it look like to become foster parents or respite care or caring mm. for those that are in the DHS and doing all mm. of that? That was the same with... Um, uh, anti-sex trafficking work that we were doing. Mm. If we did work globally, we were doing that work locally. So mm. we always had ministries or, or groups of folks that were doing that um, on both ends. And then same thing with refugee care. And, and one thing we found was for some people, going to Iraq is crazy. Yeah. You know, that's just, there's just no way <laughs> they're going to do it. Uh, they've never met somebody that is um from an Arabic speaking, uh, you know, culture, they've never met somebody, a Kurdish person before or anything. So their idea of that is just so crazy. What was awesome is that we could actually go, well, why don't, why don't you meet with one here in Portland? Let me introduce you to an amazing family that I met a few months ago. And we would get to take them for lunch and they'd get to ask questions and dialogue and interact in a safe, wonderful way. And then afterwards, they're like, that wasn't that scary. Mm. Maybe I would go to Iraq with you. And all of a sudden, those people were some of the ones that were coming with me yes. to um, Iraq. And and what was so great is that they then when they would come back home, they would be even they would dive back into that community. And there'd be so much context for these relationships with Kurdish people here in Portland and it, I mean, when you had somebody say, oh, I've been to Kurdistan, oh I mean, my gosh. those families would just, I mean, it was just like your family, like you're your welcomed brother, in, you're sister. drinking tea, you're a brother, <laughs> there's just no getting out of it, you're now, and so the texture that yeah. would happen with those relationships from a local and global standpoint, um, and that was a big part, we were doing refugee care globally, and that meant we had, to, if we're going to do it globally, we had to do it locally, and we called a couple other churches that were feeling a similar heartbeat um, to that. Mm. Uh, Amago Day was one of them, mm. uh, one called River West, and then mm. um, from us at, at, at Bridgetown and, and Solid Rock. And um, we just kind of created a little thing called the Refugee Care Collective. Mm. There's a great gal, Megan, uh, who was the very first person in our church 10 years before to raise her hand to help out with refugees in <sighs> Portland. We were already doing some of this work, but 
it was on a very small level. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you had a, I remember when I was at, was with you, there was like even a warehouse at that point. Was that, was that we did years yeah. later? So we mean, had, that was part of, we ended up building that out. Yeah. So all of a sudden we had all these churches, not just all of those three. Now we had like 50 churches from the city that were saying, me. we're going to meet the needs of refugees um, in our city. So they were building welcome kits that were specific yeah. to age groups and, you know, gender and all that kind of stuff. We would uh, get all of the, the mattresses that are brand new for mm. their homes. We would help them move in. We'd meet them at the airport. Yeah. Um, and then we would pair them up with a community that would walk with them uh, at least for the first year, but hopefully forever mm. to really help. I mean, you know all of this from what you do, but, you know, help with everything. Like, like how do you turn light switches on? Totally. And how do you pay – you know, for, when someone comes to your door and says they need to sell you cable, you don't need to say yes. You know, mm. like you don't have to. There's just so many things they just don't know. Um, in the same way that I wouldn't know if I all of a sudden picked up and moved my family to Iraq, yeah, which exactly. you've done, you know. And yeah. If you don't have friends and people that are walking you through, what does it look like to live here? You're lost. <laughs> you would just have, you're lost. And so how scary. Yeah. And so. That was Refugee Care Collective was really this idea of mm. can we gather people to really respond to this and, and actually start having some great conversations around. I mean, at that point, there was so much fear uh, around the Middle East and still yeah. is. But I, I remember this time specifically there was yeah. uh, around terrorism and around there was just so much stuff that was being put on mm. this, you know, idea that if refugees come in, you know, yeah. everything's. And so we. We wanted to be a part of that conversation to yeah. go, yeah, that's, uh, that's just not the case. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's, it, as is most the case when you actually do step out of your comfort zone and go to places that, you know, that it's different. It's that you grow, you change, you are impacted. I don't think anybody that ever came and visited us while we were, uh, living in Iraq or even even now in the work that we do helping refugees that are have newly settled here in Australia, whoever goes and spends time with them will go away richer, oh. like absolutely yep. blown away and loved on. <laughs> and and yeah. it's it's just beautiful to see that um that beautiful exchange, that mutual benefit, that mutual connection that that um reaching out to others um does you know yeah 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 i remember there's a few folks but i remember one was uh ex-military who served in iraq hmm. and his only you know understanding of of iraq was on that end and you know to get to have some conversation with her him and and invite him to come and then have him interact in an entirely different way and getting to see you know, these people that in his mind were just all enemies to then go, oh my gosh, these are fathers. These are brothers. These are uncles. These are like men that care about their families. These are women that, I mean, it used to see him transform over the course of that time. Wow. And, um, you know, or people that were very against immigration from a refugee standpoint. Like, you know, I've got one dear friend who would just be like, no, nobody should be allowed in. Yeah. And I brought him to Iraq. Yeah. You know, I convinced him to come and from him to get to see 
you know, uh, the camps that you were, you know, the yeah. homes that you were building and the care and, yeah. and it just changed him entirely where yeah. he just, he's not the same, you know? So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Speaking of friends that you bring, I mean, you, you're, you're creative yourself and there were always some incredibly creative people that, um, that came, um, your buddy mm. Zach, um, and, yeah, I still um, I'm blown away by his his photography. But uh, but mate, thank you so much for me being able to use it. If you're uh, able to jump onto the Justice Matters uh, website, you'll see some amazing black and white photography um, mm. that is on there, and that is actually your work, Mike. And um, mm. not only am I so grateful that I, I get to use it, and it kind of is very personal for me because these are these are pictures of family members that are, are like friends for me and um yeah. so it's very very special but um and um i'm thinking of a, a couple other guys um ian uh film yeah filmmaker ian but uh but yeah can you i mean i'd love for you to talk a bit about that element of your life too and and really how that enables you to express even and tell stories and, and talk you know you know i think that's a yeah. powerful part of the whole you know building bridges and 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 making connections with people something you um you do so well yeah well i know for me i mean i, I would never call myself a photographer i love photography i i but I would, I would say that I love it from, I'm a relationship first kind mm -hmm. of guy. I don't think I could be a professional photographer where I'm just out on the street or I'm in places where I'm not going to build a connection or relationship where I'm just taking yeah. photos. That would be difficult for me. I think, uh, where I, you know, love to, to be a part of that is when I know that I, I'm, these are my friends. These are people that I care about. These are people that I'm, mm. I'm engaged with. I know them. I know their names. I'm mm. sitting with them and and that for me helps me feel not just comfortable, but feels like there's not this weird exchange of like I'm taking a photo to get something from them, but more that I'm 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 taking a, a photo to capture a moment mm. that I hope is going to be mutually um, beneficial and, and loved on and, yeah. and so on. And so, you know, all my time in Iraq, um, you know, that was that felt like family and it was yeah, I feel like I've got a family album of, oh, of photos that I get to look back and just, you know, remember these moments with these kids and the games. And mm. it was just always so, uh, yeah, life-giving. And then I do think that, um, it's an incredible medium mm. still to this day, uh, to capture a story that has the potential to change things. I, I think mm. of photos that have changed my life. I remember um, a photo was taken by a guy, a guy that actually, uh, a South African, um, but it was this photo and it, people are going to remember it, but um, it was of this kid that was starving mm -hmm. uh, at a um, camp uh, in Africa. Um, I believe it was in, um, I believe it was in the Congo, but Anyways, I remember and there was a vulture that was, uh, it looked like it was close to the kid and it was this whole, anyways, big story. You can look it up, but mm. I remember that photo when I was a kid, um, seeing it going like that's changing the way that I'm thinking about starvation happening all over the world. It's changing the way that 
I think about um, mm. the way that I give and generosity. So there's, there's just, I just feel like photos have the opportunity yeah. to change uh, people's, you know, um, views and minds. And so I've always, in, I've always been intrigued by that um, aspect. There's a one photo from Iraq that I just, for me is personal because um, I, my dad left when I was three. I had an abusive stepdad. Um, so the father son relationship is just so important to me because um, I just didn't have it. And I've got a photo of uh, a, a father and a son that are kind of squatting down mm. um, at the camp. And that to me, oh, for the rest of my life, one. it's going to be one of my top three yeah. favorite photos because it means something to me. Mm. It, 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 this kid is modeling this thought, like they're sitting the same way. You can just tell they're related because yeah. they're just literally like their DNA is just like sitting. And so, yeah, things like that, you know, mean a lot to me. Um, getting to do that project in New York uh, yeah. around the Me Too um, kind of movement when it, it, it kind of launched when I was there mm -hmm. and ended up being a centerpiece. And I had the privilege of uh, photographing uh, Tarana, mm -hmm. who is who started the Me Too stuff 20 years ago. Most people don't know that Me Too actually started 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, it was just the hashtag that kind of got popularized uh -huh. at, at that time. But getting to and spending time with victims, I, I photographed mm. um, probably 10 women that had all been, it was for many of them, it was the first time that they were sharing that this had happened to them. And so that was a very hard, I'll be honest, it was one of the hardest things that I've ever uh, gone through. Mm. It made me look at my own contributions to the problem. Mm -hmm. um, even as someone who went to China to talk, to learn about inequality, I'm still a part of a system. Mm. I'm a husband that, you know, like there's things that I didn't realize um, that I don't think about. And, and to me, taking those photographs and looking at those photographs uh, is a part of my own transformation. It's a part of me becoming hopefully a better version of myself for the future and for my wife. Mm. And I think photography has the power to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you've said it, said it so well. I mean, beyond statistics and facts and numbers, art, particular photography, I think is such a powerful way to take you into a moment, into the story, into the the emotion into places and move you in ways that, uh, yeah. that other mediums can't. Um, and I, I love how, yeah, you use that gift in so many ways, mm. um, to give voice to the voiceless, you know, it's, it's a, it's a powerful mm. way that it, it's been used. I know by you and I love jump on over to, your Instagram, you'll see a, a good taste of some of the stuff that you do. Is there any other places that, that people can find it? We could throw it in the show I mean, notes later on. There's, but... uh, it's on some websites. Yeah, I can share. I mean, I think I've got Michael Dean. I don't even know. I've got a website somewhere that yeah. I haven't, haven't updated, but yeah. Well, as you can tell, it's not my, it's not my main thing. Yeah. Cause you're busy right it. now. And fortunately it's still, it kind of, I see it using a lot of all, elements of who you are, the creative side that is Michael Donald, but also the yeah. connection, relational and, and and global person that you are, um, and the justice, you know, person that you are. We you you're now have kind of in some ways gone full circle in, in a in a in a relational way in working with some old 
mates of yours, best friends of yeah. yours at the Bible Project. So a lot of people yeah. uh, might not really know the Bible Project, though, as I share with people here, and it's it's becoming quite especially within within those of a faith background in Christianity it's like probably one of the number one tools um that people are using these days um you know um look you'll do a better job at explaining it and articulating it quickly and well yeah so the bible project um is a we're a nonprofit animation studios and to put it simply we make cartoons about Jesus for the internet so i mean it's a pretty simple you know uh, explainer videos, um, around the Bible. And, you know, for me in my, again, in, in kind of the faith paradigm that, that I'm a part of, um, if you ask anybody, you know, Hey, would you like to be able to read the Bible like more clearly? Like, is it, is it a weird book? The Bible is a weird book. (laughs) It's a hard, weird book. And, and I feel like as Christians, we're often not given the permission to say that, but that's just the reality. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting because it's, it's tons of different authors in tons of different time periods written in a bunch of different ways. Uh, and, and we read it like, it's all just like this, you know, we read it all the same and, and it's just hard to understand. Mm. Uh, And so I'm super thankful Two friends, um, John Collins and Tim Mackey, um, Tim's kind of our Bible nerd, Bible scholar, uh, and Tim is, uh, really kind of led the charge in, in explainer videos. Um, he was working for, he had his own studio, but was doing them for Google and Apple, oh, is this and, John? you know, all the big companies. This is John. Yeah. And so people would approach John to kind of help them explain really complex things in a simple, short way. Mm. And John was brilliant at that. He's incredible at asking questions. Mm. He's a learner, no ego, just awesome. Tim is that like Bible scholar, like moved to Israel, learned Hebrew is, you know, his favorite pastime would be reading tons and tons of books and, you know, being in a cave by himself and just learning and maybe with his family, he loves his family, but, um, you put the two of them together and you've got this (laughs) and a skateboard. Totally. Uh, and you put these two together and that's the Bible project. You've got these, um, you know, brilliant videos about the Bible, but just done in a really creative way that allows you to understand and actually, um, do that. And so we make, we make videos, we give them away for free. Everything's free. You know, that's for me, the justice wow. piece. When I would travel around all over the world throughout Africa and the Middle East and, and everywhere, um, one of the things for those that wanted to learn more about the Bible, there's just not a lot of resources out there for yeah. you. And, uh, you know, so it was so neat to get to be a part of the team. And, and that's the part that I oversee. I oversee all the global focus stuff, which is all translating our videos into other languages and mm. not just subtitles, but actually redoing all the art, redoing all the voiceover. So it actually and contextualizing it for that specific language. So we're redoing scripts, we're redoing things that make sense for that area and that language. And so um, it's a huge undertaking. We work with local, national, indigenous people to do that. So I have got 29 studios around the world that are working on this right now. That is phenomenal. We've got, you know, hundreds of contractors that are a part of that and language advisors and everything else. And we're getting these videos done um, for other people. And again, that's all for free. Like everything's just, you know, given away. And so um, I love it. I, I get to, you know, use my relational 
friends and gifts and things like that mm. to help be generous in that way. Mm. Um, I get to, you know, be here in Portland with friends that happen to all work together now. And, yeah. and that's a lot of fun. You know, it was kind of felt like a coming home. And um, yeah, it's great. And here I am in my garage. And, you know, um, as you know, as you were talking about that, um, you know, for me, growing up, you, you know, my story growing up, my parents were missionaries in Indonesia yep. and and then my whole life being surrounded by um, various cultures. They they were also in in West New um, Western Papua, which is um, yep. in the, the the tribes, the Dani tribes, and 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 um, you know that kind of framework that I grew up with of just of of just parents and a family and environment that just wanted. Um, to to love on and to serve others, and mm-hmm. it's always been as I've read the teachings of Jesus, as I've read the teachings of the prophets that talk about there's yeah. this theme of justice, of fighting for the oppressed. Yeah. It's you cannot read the Bible without seeing this theme from beginning to end of a yeah. a an, an arc of the alien, the orphaned, the the widow. We need, you know, God's heart for them is just overwhelming, and yeah. so is anybody who was would be a follow uh, follower of Jesus order yeah. to love God. You cannot love God and not love your neighbor. And as Jesus would say, your neighbor actually is also your enemy. He's also the person you might be indifferent yeah. to, or the person that's different than you, the person you don't understand. That's kind yeah. of driven me, and I love the way what the Bible Project is doing now is bringing a lot of that to light. You've got even a series on justice, um, mm-hmm. but for a book that can also be weaponized by people as well, I love the ability that that this project and this work that you're a part of has the ability to um, really um, counteract a lot of that approach to dealing dealing with um this beautiful ancient mysterious um yeah text that we that we you know is so powerfully informative in our lives and 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 the way we live um it, how yeah. for you how is you know how has has the bible or how has even in your your yeah. work there impacted you in in your own life and your own um passion for for fighting for justice yeah. Well, as it pertains to the Bible, I mean, I I can say this as even a former pastor of mm. a church for 14 years, there were huge seasons of my life that I didn't read. Mm. Unless I was teaching something on Sunday, I was not reading the Bible. Yeah. Um, and there was a reason for that. I would get into it. I would get mad. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do with with my questions or my anger because I felt like I needed as a Christian to have all the answers and to be able to defend this thing. And so I would it would just I would put it down all the time. And, you know, the the Bible project done a few things. One, it's helped me recognize um, that it is a big, messy book. It is a unified story that does lead to Jesus. There is unification Mm. from Genesis all the way to Revelation you don't read it the same. Mm-hmm. There's there's poetry in there. There's history. There's uh, metaphor. There's you know 
And so things that were, and you have to understand context. I, I think that's the biggest thing that's helped mm. me the most is that the Bible Project brings so much understanding around context. This was a letter written to a certain individual or group of people at this specific time in history right. that they did not expect was going to be read by billions of people around the world 2,000 years later. He mm-hmm. wasn't writing that letter, in my opinion, with that intent going, Tim and mm-hmm. Mike are going to be reading this letter that I wrote to the Ephesians at this specific time for this reason. And now I don't, I, I mean that it's incredibly important to understand. And I believe that it's breathed by God. all the things that people are going to be like, wait a minute, is he saying that the Bible Why? isn't, you know, God's word? Absolutely. But I do think that we have to understand the context in yeah. which it was written to see what, what it means to me in 2020 for my yeah. family and for myself. And the Bible Project has done such a good job has. Of, of, of teaching that. And it's allowed me also to still have questions and not throw it away. Say that again. It's allowed it's me a- to realize, it, you know, God is so... You know, I've got, if you've read in the margins of my Bible now, mm-hmm. I feel like I've had permission. I've circled stuff and been like angry or like, yeah. I don't agree with this. Yeah. I, this makes me really mad. Yeah. I actually don't understand this. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to understand it until I meet face to face with Jesus and go, God, I don't get it. Like you said this, I really felt this and I can't reconcile the two, but mm-hmm. I'm okay now living in that tension and it doesn't make me not a believer in Jesus Mm. to not understand or to not have. And I I think that's, you've just got to give yourself permission to, to, you know, have questions and that doesn't make you any less a Christian or a follower or whatever in any faith parrot, like have questions. I'm going to have them for the rest of my life. What is it though that makes us feel like if we do question or if we do, that makes us suddenly have to feel like we have to justify that we are a Christian or justify that that we love God. There's something, it's almost like the Bible almost needs to be rescued from itself. <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, I think it's something we've instilled into it. It's yes. a cultural thing that somehow, uh, you know, either we've given a select few the authority to interpret and then, you know, share what it means. And we yeah. just have to kind of sit into that. Or, um, we've been taught that if we have questions, people judge us for not yeah. being, you know, uh, faithful or not being, you know, spiritual or whatever yeah. it is. And we care a lot about what people think about us. Yeah. I mean, take if you took that equation out, if you said it didn't matter what anybody thought. Yes. I actually think that you'd give yourself more permission to ask questions. And that's as I've gotten older and maybe some of it's from the Bible Project. Some of it's just getting a little more gray hair on me. Yeah. Where I'm like. I'm okay if you want to judge me for not understanding the entire Bible. I, I'm really okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to keep digging into this. And so. Um, that is so important. It's hard because we we live in community and we want to be accepted by community. And so it's hard not to not care what other people think. Um, um, the sad thing is, though, you get when you d- when you don't allow the Bible or, or or any text really, um, when it has this weight to it where it can be like, well, it says it here, bang, I can smash you over the head right. with this because it says it here when it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not allowed to have nuance. It's not allowed to, um, you know, it, it does, yeah. it, it, it can do a lot of damage. And I love, I love that there seems to be a new wave, a new 
ability to be able to wrestle with this ancient, beautiful, mysterious, diverse text. And, and, yeah. and, and I think it's coming to life. I know these videos and the resources that are out there have been so powerful for me in, in, in mm. bringing it to life in ways that it never has. The fact that they're like legitimately like Pixar, Disney quality cartoon yeah. kind of like, it's like watching the into the spider verse, but in like with these amazing kind of, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, artists you got to check it out. Yeah. They're we've, you know, we've been able to, pull people from all those places, you know, and Dark Horse and DreamWorks and all these places that um, are part of, a lot of them are part of the project. And yeah. So it's, it's pretty, yeah, I, our artists are, they blow my mind you got, every single time. You got the best of the best. And, and then when it comes, you know, um, you know, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying this to flatter you or any in in any way, but the ability, as I was talking about, people want to belong and people don't want to feel like, what are they going to think about me? Um, one of the things I've loved so much and I've learned so much from you, Michael, is this ability to have such an eclectic, such a broad community around you where everyone actually feels like they belong, where they actually don't have to worry about their what their faith is or what they're they're thinking or what's interesting to them or or what's important to them um and they can be with you know you as a friend i've i've appreciated that from from the many times we've got to just hang out and be together mm. um and i think that's an important part of justice the tagline for this show is creating you know fighting fighting for a world where everyone belongs and because i i yeah. feel like you know it's been this sense of belonging hence the name you belong um as as a yeah. really kind of cla and almost like a, a a message to somebody it's not it's not hey you're welcome it's not you you belong i want you to hear that i want you to know that it's something that i think is so critical and and crucial to um seeing justice, seeing equality, seeing the oppressed, seeing those that are hurting feel loved and valued yeah. and I think creating creating that world. Now what for you, can you I mean can you talk into that a little bit? I mean, what is it that mm. makes you that way, Mike? Like uh what's made Mike that Mike that everybody that knows you knows that they are safe and they're loved uh, just the way they are. I mean I Honestly, I think it's the people that I've surrounded myself with. I mean, it's it's people like my wife, mm -hmm. you know, Melissa, who is one of the most empathic people you'll ever meet. And she she just loves everybody so well. I've learned so much from her. Um, Bob, guys like Bob that, you yeah. know, can be uh, who you've had on this podcast, mm -hmm. you know, um, but that just embody that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've just learned, I feel like, and it not just from reading something, but actually going out and, and seeing it and being a part of it. Um, I think there is something too around what we were talking about earlier around not like being kind to yourself and allowing yourself to have questions. Yeah. If you allow yourself to not have all the answers, you're not going to make everybody else also 
have all the answers. So there's something around like the way that you treat yourself is going to be how you treat others. And if you give yourself a ton of freedom to learn and grow and not have it all figured out, I'm going to be a different person in five years than I am today. Then we also can extend that to others and, and can, you know, yeah, I, I just want tons of different types of friends because I've learned so much from them. Mm -hmm. I go into these friendships, you know, with this idea. I mean, I felt like that in Iraq. I loved getting to sit with, with Mm. people that had a different faith background Mm. uh, in, in with Islam and get to sit and go, tell me about your favorite part about walking your faith in Islam. Tell me about your favorite, you know, interaction with Mohammed. Tell me about your favorite way that like, this impacts your family. Like, I want to learn from you about this. Like, I want you to shape me. And, and if you're afraid of that, then you're not going to have, you're only going to surround yourself with people that are like you. Yeah. And so somehow releasing that and going, I don't have to be afraid of the differences. I actually want to be intrigued by them and be a lifelong learner. And Mm. it's amazing. Some of the people that are probably the least likely are the, some of the ones that have impacted me mm. the most. Lane, the guy that I brought yeah. up earlier, who's my number one mentor in my life, is not a Christian. Yeah, He's the number one person in my life who's taught me more about what it means to be a human and with generosity and leadership and integrity and all these things that we'd be like, man, that's a great Christian that's like, ta-. he's not a Christian. Yeah, And I still put him as my number one. Yeah, And so I think there's something about you know, because um, it's just a label yeah, I, I at the end of the day, really, sometimes, isn't it? Become, it is. We've just put a label. Well, you're not this, you're this. And, 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 um, as helpful as, as labels can be, uh, to know that this is not, this is a glass of water and not methylated spirits, let's say. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, they don't do, they don't do much for relationships. Um, and, and really, giving like yourself permission to learn from people that are different from you there. Yeah. 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 And I think you've got to go in. I mean, I, I remember taking a few people to Iraq, you know, cause again, I, that's the world I lived in with, with the kind of Christian paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, but needing to sit down with them and go, I don't want you sharing anything about Jesus or the Bible or anything unless you are authentically willing and excited to learn about them and their faith. Yeah. You you don't get to go and and share and teach something unless you're willing to actually listen and learn. Mm. And and it needs to be real. If you can't do it with authenticity, then just don't talk about it. Like talk about other things. Talk about, you know, being mm. a dad or life or whatever. But I we're not going to talk about and what's hard is like you get over there and faith is such an important part. It's the, cent- uh, to it's the number there. one thing it's, they want to talk about. It's the center about. of all of it. All the things so you're not allowed to talk it, about it, in the West, politics and faith. And, right. It's and, all you're going to do. You're going to grab a backgammon set pretty and much you're going to sit down and you're going to talk about faith and politics and soccer. I mean, that's, that's going to be much the whole it. or football. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that was, you know, exciting for people to kind of get to that point where it's like, I don't have to be afraid of those conversations yeah. and I can learn about these individuals and watch how it shapes you. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you've shaped me. Um, I, mm. you know, I miss the fact that, uh, I'm not stateside at the moment and, and though it's probably would have been real, it's, it's, no one's going anywhere right now. And it's kind of sad that we don't get to to be a part of interact and engage in this beautiful world of ours as much as we'd like. Um, 
but I'm yeah. I'm grateful that I still get to to call you up and and chat and um and for for everybody yeah coming we'll be doing this for a long time coming on this podcast um as we wrap things up man um man there's so many so many places feel like I could go and just wrestle some good stuff out that could, I think, be really helpful. What I loved, just as you shared there, was this this permission to not care what others think about you is going to be sticking with me for a while. Um, and and I think that I think that's important because when you do become free to just be yourself with other people then you'll you'll know pretty quickly um who's yeah. worth who are the people worth surrounding yourself with if people are that's right if people are saying oh, you have to be like this in order for me to accept you um then that's you'll right. be caught in the trap um yeah of of just living up to other people's expectations and knowing the why, I mean, I, I so take this podcast, for example, mm. if the reason you were doing this podcast was to get a bunch of people to listen mm. and you you're going on every day and you're looking at the numbers, how many people have listened, how many people, oh, we got a mm. hundred more, hundred more. If that stopped and you stopped getting more listeners, it would potentially drive whether or not you're going to do this or not. Whereas if your why was because, listen, I've got some some people I want to talk with. It's yeah. about the conversation. Yeah. It's about what I'm going to learn in this conversation. It's about, you know, what my friends and family that I know are listening are going to get to learn and eavesdrop into this conversation. Yes. It doesn't matter if a million people listen or 10 people listen because the root of it is in this constant stretching and learning and growing between, you know, the two of us. So when you know the why it's going to sustain you in, mm. you know, doing, doing these things. Um, but when the why gets, man, and it, I think about this with the Bob Project all the time, you know, we've got millions of people every day that are tuning in and watching it. If we all of a sudden get driven by how many people are watching it versus the content that we're creating and the reason why we're creating it, mm. we're going to drift. We'll get off, you know, we'll, we'll start making hot topic videos just for the sake of doing it to try to get more views. And, and yeah, you just got to remember the why. And so when it comes to being a human, what does it look like to really love God and love others really well and yeah. remember the why? And I think that can shape and change. Yeah. And when it comes to wanting to do justice, when it comes to wanting to yes. fight for other people, if it's just about being, you know, as, you know, making a big scene and drawing attention to yourself and what you're doing, if it's about you and you're platform you're yep. building then um goodness how could that be so as far away from the actual purpose of what justice is which is elevating and and uh, the other the others and, and those that yeah the oppressed those that don't have the opportunity that don't have the voice that's right um yeah and that's a good reminder mike man ugh. dude thank you so much Oh, um, thank you. I love it. Please. Um, I know Melissa's probably in the in the other room. Just give her a big hug when you see her. Uh, oh. And from Sarah too, uh, she's constantly getting little messages from her. And and you know it's tough. It can. It's we've kind of done a few. You know we're still trying to find our feet here in Australia. And um, but sure. but Melissa's been one of those people. Constance checking in on her and. 
And you're mm-hmm. so right where she is cares so deep. And I uh, appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, Mike. Um, looking forward to our next chat. Um, thanks so much. Now, lastly, what are the ways, what's on the horizon for you as we wrap things up? What's anything new happening, anything exciting other than kind Man. of renovating your garage and yeah <laughs> yeah i i mean no we're you know we're trying to well, I'm a, we're we walked a half marathon we're, yes. so we're trying to get out and get access you know or get um you know get active and and do that which has been super fun um and then just embracing the time that we're in and making sure that we don't lose ourselves in the midst of that and so checking in with each other mm. often and and really kind of doing those are we doing okay? Mm-hmm. And what do we need to change in order not to, you know, uh, be in this place? And so, um, yeah, I think taking care of yourself, being healthy, that's what we're working on right now. This is a unique time. When do you get, I mean, I get to have lunches with Melissa every single day. Hmm. When does that happen in the last 14 years? You know, like that's never the case. And I don't commute. So I get breakfast with her too. And I'm home for dinner at the exact because wow, I'm here man. like it's just so so and for someone dude, that was embrace in that another country pretty much every other other month or week 30, really of the time yeah um yeah. that must be a so, change change for you guys yeah. it's weird because for I don't think I, I I haven't worked at home like maybe two days this whole time that's how differently we have been impacted obviously it's affected so many other people in so many different ways and and I'm thankful that I have it have a job to go to. But um, man, what a what a gift you have right now to focus on on what is most important, um, the relationships that matter most. Yeah. Um, that's awesome, Mike. Well, thanks for contributing you and who you are mm. to to this this podcast, this little project I got going. Thanks for becoming one of the first patrons to support the show mm. that meant a lot to me. Um, but thanks, Mike. Um, I love you heaps. And I learned a lot today and I know people will today too. Appreciate you. Likewise. Thanks brother. Love you, man. Well, there he is. One of my most favorite people in the world. I hope you enjoyed my conversation that I had with Mike McDonald as much as I did. And if you go over to YouTube, you will also see how sharp-looking his video was. Guys, the lighting he had, the simple setup he had was very, very sharp. And I have to say, I was a little jealous. Mate, good job. Hey, if you want to hear more about his work with The Bible Project, or just learn more about The Bible Project and the videos, make sure you go to their YouTube channel. Uh, Just search The Bible Project, and I can assure you it will be the first thing that comes up you can also go to their website that'll be in the show notes too guys i continue to chat with mike for a little bit longer and if you want to hear that conversation with the bonus quick fire round questions that i have i think we chat for another 10 or so minutes it'll be well worth your time you can do that by becoming a patron of the show and that is a super super simple thing to do all you have to do is support this podcast helping us to continue to produce the show as little as $5 a month, you get access to these bonus content interviews. You can also just be a dollar a month supporter. That's all you can afford. But it goes a long way to helping us produce the show. You do that by going over to patreon.com forward slash 
justice matters. All right, now it's time to thank those behind the scenes making this podcast possible. I'd like to thank, first off, Jose Biotto for your audiovisual expertise in producing the show. You're a great job, mate. Really appreciate it. And special mention also goes to music artists John Art and David Gungor, also known as The Brilliance, for the music track that is used on this podcast. Guys, you can also support this podcast simply by leaving a review or rating the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have a few minutes, do us a favor. We'd really appreciate you giving us a five, especially if you're enjoying this show. And lastly, there is one more way that you can help support this podcast, and that is by rating and reviewing it, whether it be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, maybe subscribing, leaving a comment on YouTube. Every little bit goes a long way to help spread the word. Maybe share an episode that you particularly enjoyed with a friend of yours. I'd so appreciate it, and it helps us to continue to produce this content, which I believe is really important. Please join me again soon for another episode of Justice Matters. I'm your host, Tim Buxton. Thanks for listening.